Welcome to another episode of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Well, Micah, this week I wanted to talk to you about film critics and film criticism overall, because I think between the Guardian article that came out not too long ago, just like a few weeks ago, and the New York Times article that is pretty much spelling out the future of movie criticism and where it's headed to, I wanted to talk to you about the role that the film critics are playing, especially the ones of color. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about the traditional format of film criticism and how I think it's coming to an end. I wanted to talk to you about the future of movie criticism and what it looks like. Is it still Rotten Tomatoes? Is it artificial intelligence criticism? Is it AI criticism? What will it be? <laughs> Put on your Afrofuturistic hat, brother, because I'm dying to hear what the movie critic has to say about film criticism. Right, you, you obviously just want me to just go on for like a half hour uncorked. <laughs> yes, well, you, and uncorked. Look, listen, I have quite a bit to say about it, but I, I'm curious because I'm going to give context. Tell me how you came into being a film critic and what it was like when you started where you've seen it go and what you think this moment right now is. Okay. Fascinating because I, I don't think I've ever really spoken about this out loud like this. So I'm glad that we have this platform to be able to do this. So here's how I became a film critic. I started at Univision Channel 41 as a weather anchor, but doing the weather just didn't allow me to fulfill my eight hours because you go on air, you do your weather for two hours, maybe three, and then you have the rest of the day because there's no more morning show. So you're not doing a TV weather for people anymore. So what, what, what does the weather guy do? So I came up with the idea of being an entertainment anchor or an entertainment reporter. And I would come up with my own ideas. And one of the things that I noticed that was becoming really hot, and this was like 1999, 2000, was scoops, movie scoops and websites. And it was Kelvin Chavez, who we ended up becoming really good friends afterwards. I had him on the show. And it was like this Latino guy that had all the scoops about what was happening with superhero movies like Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, Brandon Routh's Superman. It, it just seemed to be the equalizer for diverse people who were looking to establish themselves in the Hollywood entertainment industry. And not, not everybody comes from a white privileged background, man. That then gave me the idea to say, how can we do that film criticism, but in Spanish. Like, there is no Roger Ebert in Spanish. So then I created showbizcafe.com, first Spanish language movie review website. 
I ended up going to NYU, taking a film criticism class for like eight, 12 weeks. I ended up becoming the movie critic for the Luis Jimenez show for People in Espanol magazine for seven years. That's kind of like where I made my chops. And then VH1 kept came calling. And today's show was like, yo, we would want you to do your film contributions. And then I had my own Telemundo movie review segment called Showbiz Cafe for like two years in Spanish. It was the only place you can get movie reviews in Spanish from a Spanish language movie film critic. There was like a Wild West feeling around that time, man. It's interesting because as you were talking, I had to make some notes because like you, and, and I don't know if it's quite this long, I've been a film critic for, for 20 years now. And it's, it's, yeah. I, yeah, I started, I was a young man when I started. And I'm going to have to really truncate my story because there's a lot to my story. I'm just going to give you the highlights. But to back it up a little bit, to give context, because keep in mind, any story I ever tell you about my life is filled with irony. Just know that. So I grew up loving film. I, lo I grew up loving movie soundtracks. I'm a filmmaker and I'm a filmmaker who ended up becoming a film critic. There was a series of situations in my life that put me in a place where I had just made my first film. I was back and forth to LA and I had an agent, William Morris, talking deals, things were happening. And then I had, a, 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 I had to make a choice. And I, I was faced with a, a choice of, was I gonna stay in New York or was I gonna go to California, pursue my dream in LA? And I had grown up listening to this guy on the radio named Paul Wonder. And Paul Wonder's on a radio station called WBAI. Now, WBAI is where I got my start on radio. And I got my start on radio doing radio drama. And when I got there, I met my idol, Paul Wonder. Oh, my God, it's Paul Wonder. I've been listening to him since I was a kid. I used to tape his show every week. He played movie soundtracks. He was on at like 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I recorded him every week, okay? He did a show called Soundtrack. I listened every week. And he used to review movies. He used to have interviews. He plays scores. He was like the guy. And then... By the time I was there, late 90s, early 2000, and I got to meet him and everything, he had become like a major, like he was quoted everywhere. Paul Wonder, then it's W-U-N-D-E-R. He was quoted everywhere in every film. And they treated him like a god. Now, when I was at BAI, I was doing other things. Paul Wonder passed. Right around the same time, I was faced with this, this Sophie's choice of staying here in New York or going to L.A., and I stayed in here in New York, again, full transparency to be a single dad. So Paul Wonder passes and the program director says, hey, Mike, we want you to take over his show. So now I'm in a wow. situation like, whoa, yeah, exactly. I'm going to take over the show I grew up listening to. And when I say grew up listening, I mean, from the time I was like 12 years old, I was listening to Paul Wonder. That's so, like, that's like a Roger Ebert, Cisco exactly. Ebert fan <laughs> that ends up taking it's over. Exactly. For one exactly. of them. It's insane. It is insane. So, so this happens, which is again, irony. Like I said, lots of irony. So I take over the show and I'm someone who had made films. I'd studied film. I knew everything from filmmaking. And when I became a film critic, this is the early 2000s, I was major market radio. I'm New York radio. They treated me very well. Flew me to all kinds of junkets, this, that, and the other thing. And then I made it 
my goal, I was going to get quoted. And I was going to get quoted on all of my favorite stars films. So I learned the craft of quoting. I was so good at it that there used to be a website called Hollywood Bitch Slap. And every year they would rate who was the worst quote whores. They'd have the quote whore. And, and I believe it was 2003, I was quote whore of the year. So I feel like if you're going to be a quote whore, you better be the top quote whore. So I was quote whore. Top quote whore. I, ha I, have, wow. I have to show you. I have a JPEG. I saved the page. So I have a lot of classic quotes. I won't go into that. I'm going to jump now to what started to happen. I'm major market radio. I get treated well and everything. But then this thing started happening in the early 2000s called online. And when you go to a junket, for those who don't know, a junket is, is, a, is like a big press weekend for the release of a film. And all the actors are there and the director and the producers. And there's all kinds of interviews from all outlets all over. Everybody converges on a hotel. Over a couple of days, they show the film and, and you get broken into groups, depending on the media. There's print, there's TV, and then there was radio. And then, of course, there's foreign press. And then you try and get your one-on-ones and you pick who you want and whatnot. They didn't really know what to do with online. It's not really print, but it is kind of. So sometimes they'd throw some online people into print. Sometimes they throw them to the radio room. It was like ah, bastard stepchild. But within a few years online, they realized was not like local anything. Online is, is global. It's the internet. Everybody can read. Online began to ascend in importance. Radio began to descend in importance. Who cares about radio? Everything's online, 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 online. Now, similar to you, I realize most of these critics, most of these great gigs that these people working for Esquire, this, that, and the New Yorker, these are all white critics. These are mostly white males, mostly white males, so few white females, but that's what they mostly were. That's and when right. you saw, that's right, and I knew Kelvin too, when you saw a person of color, it was like, hey, hey and we all would hang out together. At the, at the things that we all knew each other, you know, <laughs> and even if we didn't know each other, we all knew each other's faces. And, and a group of us, a group of us brothers got together and said, you know what? There are all these critics organizations. We need to have our own critics organization. So I co-founded the African-American Film Critics Association. First one. Went over well, we did well, blah, blah, blah. I won't get into the story. We ended up having to break off and I had to start a second group called the Black Film Critics Circle, which I'm still the co-president of and the co-founder of. So both those two organizations were my mark in this field because they didn't exist before I co-created them with the people I did. Wow, now, Mike, you're part yeah, of history, brother. I'm part of history, right? But I wasn't trying to be. Yeah, right, you so, and I have intersected exactly. within that's like, what I'm saying. As I was listening to exactly, that's why I was wow. listening to your stories. Like, wow, Jack Rico's the, the Latino Mike Sergeant. Anyway, so I watched this trend for a while, and here's the thing about online and online critics. The great thing about internet and that boom was that everybody could be a critic. The worst thing about it was that everybody's a fucking critic. Anybody with a fucking computer and an opinion was a fucking film critic and start their own website. And that it was, it was awful to me because what happened was we had had people like Roger Ebert who had won Pulitzer for film criticism. Like, I don't see that shit happening for a while. 
So we had gone from that to like people who would just give reviews and, and, and they didn't like the star and they, da, 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 da. they didn't, they didn't do like a Jack Rieger. They didn't go to film criticisms, criticism, take a course and learn about film and study film. They just came in and they had their opinion. And that was the beginning, I think, mm. of, 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 of the shift because Rotten Tomatoes came along. That was the next big shift. What Rotten Tomatoes did is two things very specific. Rotten Tomatoes was not just amortizing views, but Rotten Tomatoes was showing you, hmm, here's what critics think, but here's what regular people like you think. Are you going to listen to these erudite, opinionated, who gives a fuck what they think critics, or are you going to look at what the audience is? And after a while, when you look at Rotten Tomatoes, you see how many films critics pan it, but it made a ton of money. Audiences loved it. So mm. critics, to me, started to seem more and more out of touch. Next shift happens, okay? What is a critic, in my opinion? What is a critic? A critic is an influencer. It's the original influencer. We've had this conversation. That's what a, a film critic, a theater critic, a book critic. You're a critic. You're influencing people's opinion. You're saying, buy this book, see this movie, see this whatever, this concert, whatever, because I'm reviewing it. I'm influencing you. That's what an influencer is, in my opinion. So... Social media came along. Now we're not just talking about online and websites, social media. Social media comes along and, and again, it's a paradigm shift. Now you start having a kid's movie. Okay, yeah, so-and-so may review a kid's movie, but you know who's really going to put butts in the seats? Mommy blockers. So they started having <laughs> mommy blocker screenings. And I remember going to a screening and I'm like, I didn't know a damn soul there. And I see all these women and it's like almost all women. And they're all like, none of them are film, they're not film critics. audience. Egg. Exactly. Now target Marketing audience. I'm glad you said that. I was going to say, now we've got mommy bloggers. Well, if I'm a mom, I want to know what another mom thinks. Okay. Now, same thing happened with film criticism too. Now, overall, now you go on YouTube, there are a bazillion people. There's every kind of nerd you can imagine. Black, Asian, white, punk, reviewing films. There are people, all they do is review trailers. I, I know one woman in particular. <laughs> right. All she does is review trailers. She's got a million and a half viewers. She's just reviewing trailers, okay? But the point I'm making is, it's like you said, the rise of the influencer or the, the rise of the non-professional. Because... How do you really listen to how many people understand if I'm mentioning, oh, it's a lot like the Cocteau film, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't know who Cocteau is. I don't care. Is it good? Does the beast look like a beast? So I think that, yeah, critics are becoming rapidly irrelevant because right. people are going to listen to the people they listen to. If, if Jack and Mike, who are 20 year veterans say this movie is good, but Kai Sanat says it sucks, they're not going to listen to Jack and Mike. The last thing I'll say about film criticism is there was a time where TV was really the biggest influencer of movie. That's where all your ads were. That's where Siskel and Ebert were. And I had a TV show, Arise on Screen. It was the first African-American hosted film review show ever. This is only 2015. So that's part of history. And it shouldn't have been, but it was. That's how I met you. That's how I ended up being. I called myself a bipartisan critic because I would do Fox News and I would do PBS. And I did Al Jazeera and I would do like everything under the sun. I ended so up replacing me, you at a rise. Yes, you <laughs> did. You replaced me. When I got my own show, I was replaced by this, this 
I don't know who the hell he was, some guy, Latino Jack Rico. Fuck film crew fuck, that was like fuck a Jack Rico. All right, but yes, that's what. It, so there it is. That's my story, and that's my take. And where we're headed, I think yes, I think that these influencers are going to take over. Yeah, it's 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 over, man. I, this is uh, it's interesting because these two articles, the one from the Guardian from August first by Manuela Lazic. The title is Who Needs Film Critics When Studios Can Be Sure Influencers Will Praise Their Films? And what yep. it's alluding to is that film criticism essentially has become propaganda. That there is no ethical guidelines for, for that. Like the, the studios went, wait a minute, we don't have to deal with ethics or morality to make sure that these things are well assessed for a intellectual mind? No, we can now take people, take an opinion, which is basically based off of the culture of cable news, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, sports like First Take, sports radio. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a take. Everyone has a, a column where they or blog where they give off their assessment of things. And if the studio can have someone who is willing to just give an opinion, just, just words, and not be accountable in any way for the promotion of that film, then you're just a puppet. Here's the money. Give an opinion. And no one's going to like listen to you, brother. And here we go. That's the perspective of someone who's a bit of an elitist. Because, Mike, taste is always and always has been associated to status, to class. The, the war right now is between opinion criticism or opinion culture versus cultural analysis, Mike. That's the war right now. The old generation that is trying to preserve the traditional way of doing things. What the hell did I go to film school for? If I'm not gonna use it, you're not gonna listen to me. No! Adrian! <laughs> That's the old critic. A.O. Scott from the New York Times just retired from being the movie critic after i don't know like 15 years or something the guy's like i've had enough the trolls the the fact that no one takes these reviews that take me a long time to craft no one gives two hoots about it and all the comments are negative studios have studios have now tainted the traditional cultural critic even in in broadway shows all these critics, all these, no, <clears throat> highbrow critics, uh, royal critics, snob critics from the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. These white critics created this air of snobbery in the industry. They probably weren't paid well, but the level of perks and influence, they, they were rock stars in that space. Not enough for people of color. Like very few of them. I believe Elvis Mitchell was one of them. For the New York Times and 
stories go around that it didn't go that well for him. So you look at you look at the studios and they're just trying to promote a movie, man. And when they see someone bashing the movie or a tribe of people bashing a movie, you kind of as a marketer and someone who's been investing their time, their money to know that this wave, this bad streak of trolling can take a year of work, of sleep deprivation, and just kill it just like that because of that word, of that sentiment, that negative sentiment. And now you got these influencers, man, on TikTok, giving their opinion with a <laughs> the old headphone microphones from Apple. Like, dude, really old school, man. Yet that well, works. Well, here's the thing. At the end of the day, public opinion is influenced by public opinion. So whoever has the but most it's easy. sway. It's low-hanging fruit. But, but it's, you see, it's the lowest common denominator, Mike, because. But it's the highest dividend. No. Opinion. Yes. Requires no dude. evidence. Opinion requires and no analysis, no expertise dude, whatsoever. Dude, it's all based on country, emotions. Listen, it's what country are you living in? It's based on like a personal the, anecdotal experience. The top, what's the top news network in this country? Fox News. Okay, and what is Fox News mostly? Opinion. But they, exactly. they, they've already, but the Dominion system trial has already said that they are an opinion, not a news network. The, the thing is, they, they try to blur lose the line that many viewers. That. Of course they do. Everything in this country, we've watched evolve into something where how many ways you can you say untruth, alternate facts, lies, whatever. <laughs> so at the end of the day, like what you said, it is, it's hype. So who's going to hype best? Who can reach the most amount of people? That's it. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a PhD in film criticism. If you only have 3,000 Twitter followers and jungle head boogie boogie uh, with the green hair and people want to be entertained. They don't really care so much about facts or anything like that. So that's what we know. The other thing is, you mentioned something before. This industry, movie studios have never really cared about critics. Let's face it, as much as I love movies, do you remember the name David Manning? Hmm. Okay. David Manning, and this is right when we started, was someone who got quoted all the time. He was quoted all the time well, consistently was a critic he was a fake critic that columbia pictures had created yeah it's a very there legendary movie it's uh, a legendary uh, scandal Hollywood so story. now that's that's exactly so that's 22 years ago they were trying to do this so now they don't even have to create a david mannings there are plenty of david no, mannings there are plenty of people what that, that's what i'm saying i'm okay, agreeing look, with look, you look, look here's let me let, let me take a let me take a wider macro look at this when you have a young generation of kids in college, at home, COVID lockdowns. This is a generation that feels that they're not seen. It's like, they're like depressed zombies, Mike. Social media has affected them in this way. There's too many studies, too much research. 9-11 babies, recession, 2008 recession babies. Then you got the COVID lockdown. It's, it's crazy to be in your 20s right now and trying to figure out what you want to do with the movie business, right? Because maybe let's say your family, you don't find that support, support system in your family, but you know where you find it? You find it 
with celebrities. Celebrities become your fulfillment. And all of a sudden you're like, how can I get close to them? I need their external validation. If they see me, then it gives me permission to see myself. How can I get into that junket? How can I meet Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston, or Zendaya, any of their celebrities? And it's become so easy to do that in exchange for a promotion of that product. And if Zendaya comes over to you and says, hey, why don't you promote my movie? Did you like it? I loved it, I loved it. I'm not gonna tell you no. That's right, I know you're not gonna tell me no because I am selling you the illusion that I could be your friend. And this is part of the promotion machine. You get sucked into it. You unfortunately become a form of a megaphone for the studio through psychological tactics. They're propaganda tactics, man. No one's ever said it. And you don't notice it until like the very end that you've been like victimized and violated by these psychological tactics. Now, fast forward. It's been 10 years that you've been doing this. And all of a sudden you start seeing all the warts. Now you're older. Now you start noticing, Mike, and this is where I'm going with this. Now, instead of seeking external validation to feel like you've been seen by society and validated by a celebrity that doesn't give two hoots about you because they're going through their own shit. When you're older, none of that shit matters anymore. At that point, you know what you want to do? You want a better society. You want to improve society. You don't want to make it worse. You actually start believing in cultural analysis. You start believing that the viewer doesn't deserve empty words on just entertainment and having you be damn complicit in the marketing machine, which is what these opinionites in film are doing. I'm not saying that they don't belong here. It's not mutually exclusive. We all can coexist. But I need you guys to know that there has to be a division between the way you like to consume your news and how empty it is. It's like eating empty calories. Processed food that you think is healthy isn't. Real food with substance, with cultural analysis, with evidence, expertise to support it, a life lived that gives you the historical, social, political, aesthetic contexts in layers that you might not think that you need. But everything is a story. The more you understand the story, the more altering it could be in your life, especially when you connect. And it's film critics that allow that language to seep into your brain. But when you're just getting, oh, I got to really love it. How much substance is behind that? How much meaning is behind that? How much enlightenment is behind? Jack, I don't want enlightenment. I just want entertainment. Then damn it, we're creating a society of just zombies, Mike. I don't want to live in that society. It's all like a sugar rush, man. I hate what's happening with movie criticism. I'm glad that some film critics of color are coming up. And I can make a division between the ones who are opining and the ones who are doing real cultural analysis, like Valerie Complex, 
Christina Escobar, Candace Frederick, right? These women who are film critics of color are doing real cultural analysis. You can see their work on Latino Rebels, on Teen Vogue. I just feel like society cannot be allowed to rot in every aspect. And even though there is a space for it, I just hope that it's not the majority of the country who seeks out this content. Because what it says about the country is that it's not interested in improving. It's interested in rotting. And for those that want to let the, the country rot on a cerebral level, shit, man, something must be done for that because societies collapse when your citizens don't know much. This is how well, you don't... get January 6th. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, Mike. Well, you need to say this to Jerron DeSantis. But, you know, I, here's here's the thing I would say, though, Jack. I mean, I agree with you. There are a lot of points you made that I would I would want to even go deeper because I do think that social media revealed something that's latent in all of us. They're, 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 it's not just wanting to meet celebrities. It's wanting to be a celebrity. It's wanting to be relevant. It's wanting to to have every moment of your life be of some importance to somebody. But the other thing that's happening here is you're talking about people or the general public maybe not wanting actual cultural analysis or actual critical breakdown of a film. Yeah, we're not raising a society to do critical thinking, and that's a whole other conversation about younger people. But here's the thing for the studios, and this is what the studios know. If Jack Rico sees a movie and it sucks, you're going to say it sucked. You wanted to love Indiana Jones, but, but you felt it sucked. But guess what? An influencer who's going to get a free Indiana Jones hat and be able to pose and be on the red carpet or, or, or stand next to a celebrity or, or whatever, the influencer is easier to influence. So mm. like you said, they don't mind being a megaphone because guess what? They're a paid megaphone because they would argue we were megaphones. This is unethical. Just, this is unethical. But, this is but unethical. You see, who's ethic? But who's ethics? Who decided what those ethics were? What old school? Us old school critics? Well, no. Today we don't have to listen to you. If I don't like the movie, I can say I don't like no, the movie, and my eight million followers there's a, there's won't go see your movie. Values. There's core values that we should all follow, man. In every single we, industry. I agree with you, but I'm saying where would those core values come from? Where would they be set down? What core values were established by the studios for a critic? What core values are established by TikTok or Instagram for what should be popular? Public opinion influences public opinion. A movie that becomes successful just gets more successful. This movie made $150 million. All of a sudden, it'll make $100 million the next weekend because, again, people thought it was good. How many Transformer movies came out that were terrible that made hundreds of millions of dollars? Yeah. Every critic said it sucked. But it didn't <laughs> matter. It, it didn't matter. The last three Transformer films, everybody said it sucked. The, the, the Fast and Furious hasn't made a good film since like number seven or eight, but they're still coming out. They're still making money. And, and there are certain movies, you've probably seen this trend in the last 10 years. They don't even let the critic go. Because yeah. The well, movie, that's what's been happening as of it's late. It's critic. And here it is. Influencers are sealing the deal on a movie being critic proof because right. what Rotten Tomatoes has shown us is that, that there's a disparity 
between what the quote-unquote traditional film critic, the Rotten Tomatoes-approved film critic, and the general audience. Sometimes the disparity is gigantic. So what do you think then does the future of the film criticism industry look like? Because My opinion? Okay, right. I'm sorry. You got finish finish what you're saying. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I thought you were stopping. Because yeah. I mean, by having this conversation, it just sounds to me that it's very clear that the traditional film critic, that era is gone. The days of having a TV show that you show up to and two guys are basically giving you this entertaining perspective of a particular movie that they got to see and that you depend on their film review to then go see the movie. Those days are gone. Like, like, like what it is now, the film critic in a newspaper. Newspapers are declining to a point that they're almost obsolete. They're an extinct species. So if you look at, <clears throat> it's the year 2030, 2040, okay? Is Ryan Tomato still out? Where is the traditional film critic, the person who's doing cultural analysis? How, what's the audience for that? And where are they? What is happening with the marketing machine, with social media opinionators? Okay? And what is their connection with the movie studios? What does the technology look like in 10, 20 years? What is the culture and the generation asking for in that moment? And what kind of movies and stories are we seeing 10 to 20 years from now? You put that all in the blender, Mike. And what does the future of movie criticism look like? Well, I can only tell you my opinion. I think, and I'll take a page from other industries and how they've evolved. I think that you ask about Rotten Tomatoes. I think Rotten Tomatoes are something that, that judges what people think, a, a way to vote. I think the public voting on a film is something we've seen evolve from, from those shows where, what are those shows? I'm trying to think of Star or what if it's America's Got Talent or any of those stupid shows. Everybody gets to vote. You have your judges, but you still get the vote as the popular vote. Even in, in our ridiculous democracy, there's there's... The, the electoral vote and then the popular vote. So I think the popular vote is clearly going to eclipse the, the electoral vote, the critic vote, the, as you said, the, the, I'm going to give you a depth criticism of all the work of James Cameron. So people don't care, but some people will care. And I think everything old is new again. I think eventually as we have all these people just going out to talk about films, there will be people who will be looking for something more. Because I just I think yes. just like we we've watched, for instance, with the loss of DVDs and Blu-rays, one thing that we've lost is all the behind the scenes, the B-roll, the 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 the, the, the talking over. You know, it, there's that's only offered in, in a few places in a few different ways. So, what does the 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 cinephile do? The person who really cares. The person who really cares, just like everything else in our society, if you really want something in depth, you'll seek it out. And that will be an audience. It'll probably be a lot more niche. They'll probably be the people who say whatever the popular opinion is or, or 
And a good example, I think, right now in terms of public opinion being swayed by public opinion is the controversy that's going on or, or the kerfluffle over Brad, Bradley Cooper portraying Leonard Bernstein with a fake nose. Now, he had this, this fake nose and right away the Jewish community was like, oh, Bradley Cooper put on a giant Jewish nose and that's just calling stereotypes. Meanwhile, Bernstein's family had to say, no, we knew about the nose and our dad had a big nose and we loved him and we loved his nose and we don't have a problem with that. Why, why are you guys making something out of a non-issue? But people can make a non-issue into an issue because they took issue with it and that's the public opinion and people will take a side. And so I feel like that's what will happen. We will always have this public debate. We'll have kerfluffles. We'll have people talking about this movie for that thing or that thing for this thing. And then we'll have actually intelligent Mike and Jack will be doing their 20th year of brown and black and giving the proper analysis of the latest <laughs> black Batman uh -huh. film. So right, that's my right. take. What do you think is going to happen? I want to hear the Jack Rico prediction. <clears throat> well, I think that the traditional film critic from the New York times from newspapers will be over. I think that critic will then jump to online and become the de facto established film critic of that moment. The digital guy, which was a disruptor, will become the established film critic. YouTube, TikTok, social media, criticism will be done through there moving forward. I think the quality and the substance of criticism will decline to a point, like you said, that we can no longer take it anymore. That this has just like every person that has says that they'd like something and then I go see that something the, the 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 distrust starts to kick in on a massive collective level where we then come back to the traditional film critic that is at least my hope on a technological level apple came up with these new glasses called apple vision pro they're like 25 or 3500 dollars they're super expensive and clearly it's for the privileged but I was thinking, if you look at the, like the trailer for that, that to me is the future of movie criticism and movie watching. So imagine this. You put on a virtual reality headset or an augmented reality headset. You put it on your camera, on your eyes, and you just came back from work, you're stressed out, you've had a bad day. You put this on and you can watch a movie almost inside your brain anywhere you move, left or right, and guess what ends up happening? While Mike is watching the latest movie, let's say The Changeling from Melina Matsukis on Apple TV, we've been granted the Apple Vision Pro version of the movie. We're both watching it, and guess what? Because we both have it on, I then jump on your headset. My avatar jumps on your headset. I'm making this up. And all of a sudden, you see me right next in the little corner while you're watching the movie. I go, Mike, did you see that crazy movie? And you can say, Siri, stop. I'm like, oh my God, that is great. All of a sudden, we got to tell so-and-so. So-and-so comes in. Now we're having a conversation while we're watching this movie. Because movie focus will no longer be that, I got to watch the damn movie. I lost the Movies are going to be made like that anymore. It's gonna be a communal experience, easy, sugary, to go along with the movie critics on TikTok that aren't doing any real movie criticism. Movie storytelling will also water itself down. AI will be generating a lot of crap. Hopefully not. 
but all of a sudden you're having an interactive moments with comments of maybe maybe the brown and black podcast does a live premiere event movie on apple vision pro and we invite 500 lucky people to join us on a communal augmented reality virtual reality event experience where you're watching this thing like in Dolby Atmos in your headphones, like super IMAX stretched out around your head in like a 360 degree environment. You're somehow you can watch two hours, but everything will be like an hour 30 or less because of attention spans. And you'll have like Twitter comments on one side and like Instagram comments on the other side. And all these interactive, like, oh, look at this thing that you didn't notice. And Jordan Peele might tell you, hey, let's pause here for a second and look. That is how I think that movies will be watched and movies, movie critics will be a part of the experience telling you what they think about the movie. They'll be like hype people or tell you what they don't like about the movie. Like, I hated Barbie because of these reasons. Let's watch the movie together. And maybe you might pay that film critic. 20 bucks for you and him, your favorite pop culture film critic influencer. You pay him and you enter this virtual reality set together where he's basically breaking down the TikTok video that he did, but for you. There's your movie reviews now. And Rotten Tomatoes to me will become full of artificial intelligence reviews. So you finish watching a movie and you dictate to your AI, because everybody will have an AI app, a chatbot, all of them. And it'll be connected to your movie experience. Everybody has an opinion. You watch a movie, I need to immediately give my opinion on threads, on spill, on whatever it may be, on Mastodon, on X. And your movie experience will directly connect and it'll ask you, hi, can I have your opinion of the movie? Oh my God, it was so slow, but I really love this part. And it was, I will reinterpret that in a concise and coherent way. That way it doesn't feel like spam. <laughs> Makes you sound like, I don't know, Manola Dargis from the New York Times. Give me my movie review in the form of Pauline Kale. And it spits it out in this like coherent way. Except that now everything sounds like that. No authenticity. So you'll have those two groups, man. So there you go. That's my opinion on film criticism. I don't know what you think about it. I think I don't really want to live in that world. <laughs> That's where we're headed to, Mike. Because if you can imagine it, you can do it. And I think that's where it's headed to. And this strike and the technology right now that's wrestling creators, this is the plight, this is the plight of the industry, man. We might just be losing the industry. The, the glory days of the industry might just be coming to an end. And we're going to end up going through this carcass of who knows what this will be. But whatever it is that will be, the successful ones are the ones that are going to be able to overcome that, adapt to those new technologies, to the new cultural language of marketing. But not everybody wants to do that. Much like the old man 
Javier Bardem's grandfather in Vicky Cristina Barcelona, where they asked him, he's a poet. He's like, oh, can I see some of his poems? He's like, no. He doesn't want to give the world the privilege of seeing his own poems. He doesn't want to give them that. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? What? The world doesn't so deserve his poem? art. Yeah. The world doesn't deserve to read his poems. <laughs> So this is what I'm saying, man. It's like we're all going to become like those people. And then they, we're going to have like a club of like old film critics that get together uh, like on a Comic-Con and with their fucking old souvenir T-shirts. Yeah. I also don't want to be a part of that either. You know what? I want to get out of the film criticism game and go just back to the Truffaut days, the Godard days. All right. New wave film critics who were coming out of the 50s with new ideas. Yes, they were critiquing those. And you know what? Here's what. All you traditional film critics. You have a lot of opinions, though, right? And you're mad, right? Because they're displacing you. Well, you know what? Go become the storyteller. Go become the new storyteller. Tell your ideas and let those film critics then come in and say how amazing your movie is. You know why? Because the studio told them to. Now you're on the other end and having these guys hype up your movie. Do you want them hyping up your movie now? Do you have any problems with it then at that moment? Well, that's it for this episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro.